Warning. Spoilers. From this point on, there will be a full discussion of the film Tenet, including spoilers about all sorts of things that happen in the story and how it ends, who lives and who dies. So if you haven't seen Tenet and you want to do that before you listen to this discussion, this discussion is very much intended for people who've already seen the film, and I wouldn't want to damage your enjoyment of any film by giving you spoilers before you're ready to hear them. Um, That's your warning. Um, From now on, we're discussing Tenet. Now, the context of this discussion is that Tenet came out last year in the middle of a whole range of other things. I went to see it at the cinema and I gave it my review uh, uh, for the podcast uh, on the episode that came out that month. Um, it was probably the biggest single uh, cinema release in, in a COVID hit year that had so many big, big films postponed. It was the latest Christopher Nolan, which is always a big talking point. And like some of um, Christopher Nolan's most recent films, the audience tends up to be, the audience tends to be divided into into camps of people who who loved the film and people who didn't. Um, there are people who absolutely loved Interstellar, like me. I think you as well, James. Um, yeah. And then there are people who are going, "Oh, this is you know, this is uh, this is silly. Nolan's gone off the boil here. This this is a, a very poor example. We should get back to what he's good at." Uh, and then Dunkirk came out, and not the same. It was actually different. I think people fall on different sides by different films. But Dunkirk was was another one where uh, there were some people going, "Oh yeah, return to form from Nolan. This is brilliant. Dunkirk is great." And other people like me and you, James, who, who didn't like it very much. So he certainly he seems to be in a, in a phase of his career where his um, his films divide the audiences a bit more than they used to, and he seems to be. Um, reaching for something different from what he was 10 or 15 years ago, which means that not everyone who makes the film is going to love it. And that's what happened with Tenet, is that this time, whereas previously I think we tend to have the same opinion about all, all Nolan films, this time we've kind of come down on opposite sides in this. I loved Tenet, but you really didn't like it at all, did you? Uh, no, it was shit. Discussion over. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> it was just fucking... It was, I can't believe a film that fucking boring and that fucking bland was 250 odd million because it was shit. It was, it was, it was incoherent. And I, I don't mind a film being challenging to kind of keep track of, you know, he's done that with um, inception and interstellar spring to mind immediately. Some people might say that the prestige is a little harder to follow. Memento is definitely quite hard to follow, but those films are universal, not universally loved, but the majority of people enjoyed those films. Like, wow, that's a, you know, it's a good film with a kind of challenging kind of concept and, you know, mind-bending kind of physics. I mean, I didn't find Inception or Interstellar too difficult to follow. Memento is definitely a bit of a, okay, holy shit, I need to, I need to lie down or I need to properly think about this film. But Tenet was just kind of, it was just kind of rubbish. It was, that it was so poorly written. It was so fucking poorly written. The, the bit that sticks out to me where I thought, yeah, no, fuck this, was the, um, it was the bit with the, it's like, yeah, we need to save the world because this guy's, uh, he's dying from terminal cancer and he's basically taking the world with him through time inversion. And I was like, cool, cool motive, Kenneth Branagh, cool, cool kind of, you know, low-key kind of scary Russian villain, cool, on board. I was like, we need to save the world. And what's her name? Elizabeth Devicki goes, and my son. It's like shut, shut up. What the fuck? Uh, yeah, that's the most important thing that we need to we need to take from this. It's not the in- end of the fucking world, but your son. Shut you fucking sausage. What a terrible, terrible line. And at, at that point in the film, I was like, yeah, 
no, that w- whatever happens now is redundant. There were some cool shots. There were some really cool shots, like the ab sailing and the reverse fights or the inverted fights and the the car uh, the car bit in um, Estonia, which they've obviously filmed there to save a bit of money because no one goes to Estonia, even Estonians. Um, but it was just fucking. It was just messy, and it was just kind of like. You know, let's just take our re like Interstellar's idea was look, the Earth is dying. We need to travel through wormholes and, um, you know, things like time dilation, things like that. They were concepts that seem mental and act, but are actually you know true. And it was kind of like it wasn't too bizarre or far fetched. Was time aversion just? It just wasn't. It doesn't. It didn't grip me. It was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, bullets can travel back into the gun, and they do more damage because you're going this way, and your lungs can only breathe oxygen that's going forwards instead of backwards. And it was just like, oh, do me a fucking favor. It was. It just. It just felt. I just. I don't know. I felt like his heart wasn't properly in this one, it, and as much as he got plaudits for Dunkirk, I felt like his heart wasn't properly in that one either. But there was more of a soul to that film because it was such a iconic moment in British and world history that there was a bit more soul to it. I just felt that this film didn't have a soul. And I felt really bad for folk like Robert Pattinson and uh, what's his name? John David Washington. Um, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because they're, they're, they're giving it as they're all, and they're playing, they're playing cool characters and they're playing interesting characters, but yeah just couldn't i couldn't be fucked with it it was it wasn't it wasn't a concept that was particularly interesting to me um i think he's done enough of time as a concept especially with um memento interstellar and i suppose uh you can say inception falls into the category of time because of the difference in timings because of the the dream sequences and the stages of dreams but this was just it was just it was just shit it wasn't it wasn't anything that I would write home about. And it was a real shame because after Dunkirk, I thought, okay, he's doing a sci-fi film and it's going to be about, you know, how time can, you know, be inverted and it's about that kind of stuff. And there's going to be a potential for some really cool shots, which there are, there's some really cool shots in it, especially, you know, with the, the waves going against the boats and the building blowing up and then re-blowing up and going back together or whatever, that, that shot in the kind of final moment of the film. But it was just kind of messy. And, the problem I have with Christopher Nolan film and diehard Christopher Nolan fans is that if you find it too convoluted and too messy, you're basically written off as a fucking imbecile and you should, you shouldn't think about things too much. And that's my one, one of my couple of gripes I have with Interstellar is that the, the ending to Interstellar is a little bit messy and it's kind of like, okay, so them from the future have planted this, uh, this space in the black hole and you're going to basically use Morse code through gravity across time to communicate to your, daughter and you're like wait okay hang on that's a bit fucking mental do we even know if this is a potential thing you know you're just it seems like the entire the entire film of interstellar is look you've traveled through a wormhole potentially possible and now you're in another part of the universe and you've gone to different planets that can maybe sustain life cool and then and then after that it's oh yeah then there's this mental bit at the end and if you don't understand you're a fucking imbecile and just deal with it you maybe shouldn't have to think about it too much because you loved 2001 a space odyssey so much and nobody understood that fucking film either so you're basically just basically told, I'll put up with it if you don't understand it. And I didn't really understand a fucking thing that was going on with the time inversion. It wasn't explained very clearly. It was just like, oh, look, this bullet goes backwards. Or look, this car's going backwards. And I'm sure there's been a lot of you know, thinking done with the the shooting and the recording of those shots and the you know how they formulate the CGI or the, the practical stunts for it. But it was it just it didn't seem like it was something that I, that was 
that was interesting. Like it was, if you've not made it as clear as you possibly can as a director, even though it's a complicated idea, and you're just be telling folks to either think about it or you're being lazy yourself because you're not explaining it clearly enough, then you can go and fuck yourself because you've got to try and make sure that the audience not not everyone that watches Christopher Nolan films is Kip Thorne, you know, mental astrophysicist. You know, people that watch these films are just kind of general movie goers, and if you're basically told, oh, well, if you don't understand, you don't understand, then that's your fucking problem, that's not mine. Then it, you're you're kind of, it's like you're being lost in your own arrogance of how grand and how large the idea of your film is. That's the way I felt about Tenet. It, was, it wasn't thought, it wasn't explained very clearly to me, the, the whole time inversion. I know that it's basically time can go backwards and at the same time, simultaneously, you walk into this big fucking tumble dryer and you come out the other side and you need an oxygen mask, depending on what side of the the uh, the flow of time you're on. But other than that, it was it was like, yeah, just kind of put up with the, the bizarre idea of you need to go backwards in time to catch up with somebody. It was like, what? Oh, eh? It- it, it's interesting, and I think where what, what what's happened is is that with these with the last couple of of Nolan films, people have found that you know people who are fans of Christopher Nolan have found themselves or have at times found themselves on the same side of the discussion as people who aren't fans of Christopher Nolan at all. I would say up until the Dark Knight Rises, um, people liked Christopher Nolan or they didn't. It was as simple as that, you know. But there were people who went, oh, I don't really like, the, you know, they would say they don't like Nolan, they don't like The Dark Knight. It's, you know, why are you making why are you making this all so sombre and ponderous? It's Batman, don't be ridiculous, or Inception, you know, the, what, what's all that about? And those people, you know, just, just you say, James, they're not idiots. They're just not turned on by what Christopher Nolan is doing, right? Yeah. And you know, forget those those film fans are morons. If we, we we talked about toxic fandom. There's nothing in the world that that a, a, a fucking fan on the internet can't can't piss everyone off about. Like, oh no, you're not stupid. You're too stupid to understand it. Fuck them. They're idiots. Um, the interesting thing about Christopher Nolan is, for a long time, it, you know, if you liked Christopher Nolan, you know, you liked Batman Begins, and you loved, you know, the you know the Prestige and Dark Knight and Inception. It was because what Christopher Nolan does and the way he does it appealed to you and you felt, oh, this is amazing filmmaking and other people were just never going to like it because they didn't, they, they, they didn't buy in to that. And it's a matter of taste. You either buy into it or you don't. But what's really interesting is that Christopher Nolan is really pushing the boundaries now. And there were people who really didn't like Interstellar because they thought the, the whole final act where, you know, you're, if you can exist in five dimensional space, the way you travel through that is by being able to focus on something that's really important to a time that's really important to you. And it, it did it in a way that isn't altogether straightforward. Some of it, you have to make your mind up about what's really going on. And he's, he is somehow able to send Morse code back to his daughter back at the time. And that shows you how, um, uh, the, the, the future can be saved by future humans who are able to exist in another dimension of space and you, you can't travel through time, but you can send messages through time. And some people went, that's fucking ridiculous. He's fucking in the bookcase. What a ridiculous idea. I hate it. And other people like us went, I love that. I, I, I'm, I'm on board with 100% of what happens in Intercell. I think it's amazing. And But I had to say, I had to understand why some people would look at that, think it's absurd and not go along with it. In the same way that people came out of Dunkirk and went, that's amazing. I felt like I was there. I feel so much. I felt all the fucking power of what happened to Dunkirk through watching that film. And I went, well, well, I didn't. 
I felt that the way he did it made it feel like there was only three aeroplanes, six boats, and 12 people in the whole thing. And I didn't get a sense of the scale of Dunkirk, and, and I felt that the, the performances were too muted, except someone else has gone and watched exactly the same film and felt exactly what Christopher Nolan wanted them to feel from watching the film. And I think what's happened is he is now pushing the boundaries with what he does, which means that he's going to bring out a film and some people just aren't going to like it, not because they don't get it, not because they're not intelligent enough to get it, but because he's trying to do a certain thing which some people are just going to be turned off by. And he is he seems to be going into a phase of his career that Stanley Kubrick did. I mean, 2001 A Space Odyssey, an interesting parallel, not because you know it makes you intelligent if you get the film, but because Kubrick started making films where some people are going to watch the last half hour of that film and go, that's bullshit. This none of this makes any sense, and other people are gonna um, are, are gonna go with it, and, and and are gonna love what he did with the film. And I, and I think Tenet is is as yet the biggest expression expression of that. And for, for for the sake of Christopher Nolan's own career, I think if he carries on dividing the audiences the way he does, he might struggle. But personally, I think what he was trying to do with Tenet was basically the most ambitious film he's ever made. And I, for one. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was an incredible feat of filmmaking. I loved every minute of it. Um, and I don't, I've heard all the criticisms of it and I have to acknowledge them. I can understand why people would watch that and go, fucking hell, this is ridiculous. Because one of the key things is that he's trying to make the film immersive. The reason that the main character doesn't have a name uh, or, or you don't hear his name. And the reason that you are disoriented in the way that you are is because he's trying to put the audience right in the middle of the action. And from minute to minute, it might not be clear to you what's going on. And you have to kind of strain to go, shit, this is all going to go off in one second. Where are we? Fuck. And if you're not prepared to go with that, if you, and I think I personally, I think it's reasonable for an audience to expect the director to tell the audience a bit more about what's going on totally get it i totally get it and people who dislike that film for that reason i totally understand but what i loved about it was i felt like i'd been dropped into the middle of this and i was going to have to and i felt all the kind of tension of not only needing to stay alive from moment to moment while all of this shit is going on but the world has got to be saved and it can only be saved if you can get your head around what the fuck is going on and i honestly the first time i watched that film the hairs were standing on the back of my neck pretty much the whole way through. I thought it was an absolutely stunning piece of work. What, what's interesting about it is, is that he's one thing that's going to remain controversial about Nolan for, you know, in recent years is that ever since interstellar, he has started to make the sound mixing of his films more and more challenging. And, and he came out and said in an interview that in his previous films, what he was doing was he was doing less with the sound of his films because he knew how many cinemas had shit sound. And he said, he doesn't want to make his films for cinemas with shit sound. They, the cinemas, should have better sound, and to so that his films, you know, so that his films play on them. And I think that's a, it's a very Christopher Nolan thing to say. It's the same thing as him always wanting to do things on film. But if you do watch the film with with a decent sound mix, you can follow everything that people are saying. The, the other thing that's challenging about the film is that I mean, I've watched it three times now. I watched it twice in the cinema. Once where a cinema didn't have a very good sound mix and once where it did have a good sound mix and the difference is quite notable. And I've watched it at, at home on, on, on Blu-ray and I, I got it. I got what was going on the first time, but I was clinging on by my fingernails. And that was part, that was part of the ride for me to be like, fucking hell. And, but with each, with each um, rewatching of the film, it repays 
further viewing. And again, it's it's entirely reasonable for an audience to say, I paid for a ticket, I watched the film once. If if I don't get it the first time, then the director has has failed. And it's a it's a valid it's a valid criticism. And I have to say, a first time director who I'd not heard of, I would not have given them that much rope. I gave Nolan that much rope because he'd done Inception, because he's done Interstellar, because he'd done Memento, because he does things that kind of, you know, warp your mind. And I, I trusted that there would be some payoff on this if you went with it. But I, I appreciate an audience, a film goer. Like you say, some people just want to watch a movie. And so I totally understand why some people watch that and go, fucking hell, mate. I don't have, I don't want to have to watch the film three times to get what's going on now. I didn't need three times to, to, to kind of get what was going on. Um, and I, I think the first time you watch the film, the sound was shit. And, that, and I can totally understand why that would um, make it really difficult to follow this film. And I think Nolan's going to have to think about that in future. I mean, I, I got what was going on, but then with each rewatching, that I can see that, that that's more in it, and I, I, I thought it was absolutely tremendous. I, I understand your your criticism about um, uh, Elizabeth Debicki and, and her, her, you know, talking about her son. I I felt I went with it because I felt that what that was saying was, um, there is a personal stake in this. the The world that's being saved is not just a bunch of people. It's it's you know it's it, you know it's not just this huge mass of humanity. It's people with lives and loved ones and people that they don't want to lose. And, you know, if, if if there's a crisis and if things will get blown up, you want to protect your family. And she is the, or she represents, and she is the, the you know, the, the people with loved ones who have lives that shouldn't be destroyed by this, this mad plan. And the protagonist has dragged her into it. I'll, I'll go into, into a second, you know, why he's dragged her into it. And he, he realizes that, the world is full of people like her who've got lives and loved ones who, who who don't deserve to be wiped out. And that's who he's fighting for. And the protagonists see who he's fighting for. And the fact that he puts himself in harm's way to to preserve that is because that's that's who you're fighting for. The message of the film is the people in the future have looked back on what we've done to this planet and, and maybe they've got a point. Maybe they've got a point that we fucked this up so much that the only thing that can happen is to to invert time and start again. And, and maybe maybe there'll be some planet left and something for someone left to live on. Um, but like uh, John David Washington says in the film, each generation is responsible for its own survival, and he wants to save all these people. It matters to him that these people that he sees and cares about, like Kat and Neil, they just they deserve a world to live in. And I felt I felt that gave the film an emotional punch. Now a lot of people felt that it didn't have an emotional punch, but at the end of the film, there's this beautiful scene where, because Kenneth Branagh, who's who's you know married to Kat and has kind of been mistreating her and separating her from her son, he's been keeping her away. He's been telling his He's been telling their son that she's too busy to spend time with him, and she won't hold. He won't hold her hand, and he's he's fucking ruined her relationship with her son because he's such a fucking sociopath. And at the end, because she hung in there, because she did all the things that she did to fucking stay in his life and to you know, keep things going and to protect him, at the end she just reaches out and holds his hand, and it's like that personal struggle is is what the protagonist is holding the line for. He's holding the line so people can fight their battles. Warning, spoilers. From this point on, there will be a full discussion of the film Tenet, including spoilers about all sorts of things that happen in the story and how it ends, who lives and who dies. So if you haven't seen Tenet and you want to 
do that before you listen to this discussion. This discussion is very much intended for people who've already seen the film, and I wouldn't want to uh, damage your enjoyment of any film by giving you spoilers before you're ready to hear them. Um, that's your warning. Um, from now on, we're discussing Tenet. Now, the context of this discussion is that Tenet came out last year in the middle of a whole range of other things. I went to see it at the cinema, and I gave it my review uh, for the podcast uh, on the episode that came out that month. Um, it was probably the biggest single uh, cinema release in, in a COVID hit year that had so many big, big films postponed. It was the latest Christopher Nolan, which is always a big talking point. And like some of um, Christopher Nolan's most recent films, the audience tends up to be the audience tends to be divided into into camps of people who who love the film and people who didn't. Um, there are people who absolutely loved Interstellar, like me. I think you as well, James. Um, yeah. And then there are people who are going, "Oh, this is you know, this is uh, this is silly. Nolan's gone off the boil here. This this is a, a very poor example. We should get back to what he's good at." Uh, and then Dunkirk came out, and not the same. It was actually different. I think people fall on different sides by different films. But Dunkirk was was another one where uh, there were some people going, "Oh yeah, return to form from Nolan. This is brilliant. Dunkirk is great." And other people like me and you, James, who, who didn't like it very much. So he certainly he seems to be in a, in a phase of his career where his um, his films divide with audiences a bit more than they used to, and he seems to be. Um, reaching for something different from what he was 10 or 15 years ago, which means that not everyone he makes the film is going to love it. And that's what happened with Tenet, is that this time, whereas previously I think we tend to have the same opinion about all, all Nolan films, this time we've kind of come down on opposite sides in this. I loved Tenet, but you really didn't like it at all, did you? Uh, no, it was shit. Discussion over. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> it was just fucking... It was, I can't believe a film that fucking boring and that fucking bland was 250 odd million because it was shit. It was, it was, it was incoherent. And I, I don't mind a film being challenging to kind of keep track of, you know, he's done that with um, inception and interstellar spring to mind immediately. Some people might say that the prestige is a little harder to follow. Memento is definitely quite hard to follow, but those films are universal, not universally loved, but the majority of people enjoyed those films. Like, wow, that's a, you know, it's a good film with a kind of challenging kind of concept and, you know, mind-bending kind of physics. I mean, I didn't find Inception or Interstellar too difficult to follow. Memento is definitely a bit of a, okay, holy shit, I need to, I need to lie down or I need to properly think about this film. But Tenet was just kind of, it was just kind of rubbish. It was, that it was so poorly written. It was so fucking poorly written. The, the bit that sticks out to me where I thought, yeah, no, fuck this, was the, um, it was the bit with the, it's like, yeah, we need to save the world because this guy's, uh, he's dying from terminal cancer and he's basically taking the world with him through time inversion. And I was like, cool, cool motive, Kenneth Branagh, cool, cool kind of, you know, low-key kind of scary Russian villain, cool, on board. I was like, we need to save the world. And what's her name? Elizabeth Devicki goes, and my son. It's like, shut, shut up. What the fuck? Uh, yeah, that's the most important thing that we need to, we need to take from this. It's not the end of the fucking world, but your son. Shut you fucking sausage. What a terrible, terrible line. And at, at that point in the film, I was like, yeah, no, that wh whatever happens now is redundant. There were some cool shots. There were some really cool shots, like the ab sailing and the reverse fights or the inverted fights and the, the card. Uh, the car bit in um, Estonia, which they've obviously filmed there to save a bit of money because no one goes to Estonia, even Estonians. Um, but it was just fucking, it was just messy and it was just kind of like, 
you know, let's just take a re like Interstellar's idea was that the Earth is dying. We need to travel through wormholes and, um, you know, things like time dilation, things like that. They were concepts that seem mental and act, but are actually, you know, true. And it was kind of like it wasn't too bizarre or far fetched. Was time aversion just? It just wasn't. It doesn't. It didn't grip me. It was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, bullets can travel back into the gun, and they do more damage because you're going this way, and your lungs can only breathe oxygen that's going forwards instead of backwards. And it was just like, oh, do me a fucking favor. It was. It just. Okay, it just felt. I just. I don't know. I felt like his heart wasn't properly in this one, it, and as much as he got plaudits for Dunkirk, I felt like his heart wasn't properly in that one either. But there was more of a soul to that film because it was such a iconic moment in British and world history that there was a bit more soul to it. I just felt that this film didn't have a soul. And I felt really bad for folk like Robert Pattinson and uh, what's his name? John David Washington. Um, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because they're, they're, they're giving it as they're all, and they're playing, they're playing cool characters and they're playing interesting characters, but Oh, yeah just couldn't i couldn't be fucked with it it was it wasn't it wasn't a concept that was particularly interesting to me um i think he's done enough of time as a concept especially with um memento interstellar and i suppose uh you can say in- inception falls into the category of time because of the difference in timings because of the the dream sequences and the stages of dreams but this was just it was just it was just shit it wasn't it wasn't anything that I would write home about. And it was a real shame because it, after Dunkirk, I thought, okay, he's doing a sci-fi film and it's going to be about, you know, how time can, you know, be inverted and it's about that kind of stuff. And there's going to be a potential for some really cool shots, which there are, there's some really cool shots in it, especially, you know, with the, the waves going against the boats and the building blowing up and then re-blowing up and going back together or whatever, that, that shot in the kind of final moment of the film. But it was just kind of messy and, the problem I have with Christopher Nolan film and diehard Christopher Nolan fans is that if you find it too convoluted and too messy, you're basically written off as a fucking imbecile and you should, you shouldn't think about things too much. And that's my one, one of my couple of gripes I have with Interstellar is that the, the ending to Interstellar is a little bit messy and it's kind of like, okay, so them from the future have planted this, uh, this space in the black hole and you're going to basically use Morse code through gravity across time to communicate to your, daughter and you're like wait okay hang on that's a bit fucking mental do we even know this is potential thing you know you're just it seems like the entire the entire film of interstellar is look you've traveled through a wormhole potentially possible and now you're in another part of the universe and you've gone to different planets that can maybe sustain life cool and then and then after that it's oh yeah then there's this mental bit at the end and if you don't understand you're a fucking imbecile and just deal with it you maybe shouldn't have to think about it too much because you love 2001 a space odyssey so much and nobody understood that fucking film either so then you're basically just basically told, I'll put up with it if you don't understand it. And I didn't really understand a fucking thing that was going on with the time inversion. It wasn't explained very clearly. It was just like, oh, look, this bullet goes backwards. Or look, this car's going backwards. And I'm sure there's been a lot of you know, thinking done with the the shooting and the recording of those shots and the you know how they formulate the CGI or the, the practical stunts for it. But it was they just it didn't seem like it was something that I, that was that was interesting. Like it was, you know, if you've not made it as clear as you possibly can as a director, even though it's a complicated idea and you're just be telling folks to either think about it or you're being lazy yourself because you're not explaining it clearly enough, then you can go and fuck yourself because you've got to try and make sure that the audience, not, not everyone that watches Christopher Nolan films is Kip Thorne, you know, mental astrophysicist, you know, people that watch these films are just kind of general movie goers. And if you're basically told, Oh, well, if you don't understand, you don't understand, then that's your fucking problem. That's not mine then it, you're 
you're kind of it's like you're being lost in your own arrogance of how grand and how large the idea of your film is that's the way i felt about tenet it was it wasn't thought it wasn't explained very clearly to me the the whole time inversion i know that it's basically time can go backwards and at the same time simultaneously you walk into this big fucking tumble dryer and you come out the other side and you need an oxygen mask depending on what side of the the uh the flow of time you're on but other than that it was it was like yeah just kind of put up with the the bizarre idea of you need to go backwards in time to catch up with somebody it was like what eh it, it's interesting and i think where what, what what's happened is is that with these with the last couple of of nolan films people have found that you know people who are fans of christopher nolan have found themselves or have at times found themselves on the same side of the discussion as people who aren't fans of Christopher Nolan at all. I would say up until The Dark Knight Rises, um, people liked Christopher Nolan or they didn't. It was as simple as that, you know? But there were people who went, oh, I don't really like, you know, they would say they don't like Nolan, they don't like The Dark Knight. It's, you know, why are you making making this all so somber and ponderous? It's Batman, don't be ridiculous, or Inception, you know, what's all that about? And those people, you know, just just you say, James, they're not idiots. They're just not turned on by what Christopher Nolan is doing, right? Yeah. And you know, forget those those film fans are morons. If we, we we talked about toxic fandom. There's nothing in the world that that a, a, a fucking fan on the internet can't can't piss everyone off about by going, "Oh, you're not stupid. You're too stupid to understand it." Fuck them. They're idiots. Um, the interesting thing about Christopher Nolan is, for a long time. It, you know, if you liked Christopher Nolan, you know you liked Batman Begins, and you loved, you know, the you know the Prestige and Dark Knight and Inception. It was because what Christopher Nolan does and the way he does it appealed to you, and you felt, oh, this is amazing filmmaking. And other people were just never going to like it because they didn't they 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 didn't buy in to that. And it's a matter of taste; you either buy into it or you don't. But what's really interesting is that Christopher Nolan is really pushing the boundaries now. And there were people who really didn't like interstellar because they thought the the whole final act where you know you're if you can exist in five dimensional space the way you travel through that is by being able to focus on something that's really important to a time that's really important to you and it it did it in a way that isn't altogether straightforward some of it you have to make your mind up about what's really going on and he's he is somehow able to send morse code back to his daughter back at the time and that shows you how um, uh, the 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 future can be saved by future humans who are able to exist in another dimension of space, and you, you can't travel through time, but you can send messages through time. And some people went, "That's fucking ridiculous." He's fucking in the bookcase. What a ridiculous idea! I hate it. And other people like us went, "I love that. I, I I'm I'm on board with 100 of what happens in Intercell. I think it's amazing." And but I had to say, I had to understand why some people would look at that think it's absurd and not go along with it in the same way that people came out of Dunkirk and went that's amazing I felt like I was there I feel so much I felt all the fucking power of what happened to Dunkirk through watching that film and I went well, well I didn't I felt that the way he did it made it feel like there was only three airplanes six boats and 12 people in the whole thing and I didn't get a sense of the scale of Dunkirk and, and I felt that the the performances were too muted except Someone else has gone and watched exactly the same film and felt exactly what Christopher Nolan wanted them to feel from watching the film. And I think what's happened is he is now pushing the boundaries with what he does, which means that he's going to bring out a film and some people just aren't going to like it. Not because they don't get it, not because they're not intelligent enough to get it, but because he's trying to do a certain thing 
which some people are just going to be turned off by. And he is... He seems to be going into a phase of his career that Stanley Kubrick did. I mean, 2001 A Space Odyssey, an interesting parallel, not because, you know, it makes you intelligent if you get the film, but because Kubrick started making films where some people are going to watch the last half hour of that film and go, that's bullshit. This, none of this makes any sense. And other people are going to, going to go with it and and, and are going to love what he did with the film. And I, and I think Tenet is, is as yet the biggest expression, expression of that. And for, for, for the sake of Christopher Nolan's own career, I think if he carries on dividing the audiences the way he does, he might struggle. But personally, I think what he was trying to do with Tenet was basically the most ambitious film he's ever made. And I, for one, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was an incredible feat of filmmaking. I loved every minute of it. Um, and I don't, I've heard all the criticisms of it, and I have to acknowledge them. I can understand why people would watch that and go, fucking hell, this is ridiculous. Because one of the key things is that he's trying to make the film immersive. The reason that the main character doesn't have a name, uh, or, or you don't hear his name, and the reason that you are disoriented in the way that you are is because he's trying to put the audience right in the middle of the action. And from minute to minute, it might not be clear to you what's going on. And you have to kind of strain to go, shit, this is all going to go off in one second. Where are we? Fuck. And if you're not prepared to go with that, if you, and I think I personally, I think it's reasonable for an audience to expect the director to tell the audience a bit more about what's going on. I totally get it. I totally get it. And people who dislike that film for that reason, I totally understand. But what I loved about it was I felt like I'd been dropped into the middle of this and I was going to have to, and I felt all the kind of tension of, not only needing to stay alive from moment to moment while all of this shit is going on, but the world has got to be saved and it can only be saved if you can get your head around what the fuck is going on. And I honestly, the first time I watched that film, the hairs were standing on the back of my neck pretty much the whole way through. I thought it was an absolutely stunning piece of work. What What's interesting about it is, is that he's one thing that's going to remain controversial about Nolan for, you know, in recent years is that ever since interstellar, he has started to make the sound mixing of his films more and more challenging. And, and he came out and said in an interview that in his previous films, what he was doing was he was doing less with the sound of his films because he knew how many cinemas had shit sound. And he said, he doesn't want to make his films for cinemas with shit sound. They, the cinemas should have better sound. And to, so that his films, you know, so that his films play on them. And I think that's a, it's a very Christopher Nolan thing to say. It's the same thing as him always wanting to do things on film. But if you do watch the film with, with a decent sound mix, you can follow everything that people are saying. The, the other thing that's challenging about the film is that, I mean, I've watched it three times now. I watched it twice in the cinema, once where a cinema didn't have a very good sound mix and once where it did have a good sound mix and the difference was quite notable. And I've watched it at home on, on, on Blu-ray and I, I got it. I got what was going on the first time, but I was clinging on by my fingernails. And that was part, that was part of the ride for me to be like, fucking hell. And, but with each, with each, um, rewatching of the film, it repays further viewing. And again, it's, it's entirely reasonable for an audience to say, I paid for a ticket. I watched the film once. If, if I don't get it the first time, then the director has, has failed. And it's a it's a valid it's a valid criticism, and I have to say, a first time director who I'd not heard of, I would not have given them that much rope. I gave Nolan that much rope because he'd done Inception, because he's done Interstellar, because he'd done Memento, because he does things that kind of you know warp your mind. And 
I, I trusted that there would be some payoff on this if you went with it. But I, I appreciate an audience, a film goer. Like you say, some people just want to watch a movie. And so I totally understand why some people watch that and go, fucking hell, mate. I don't, have, I don't want to have to watch the film three times to get what's going on now. I didn't need three times to, to, to kind of get what was going on. Um, and I, I think the first time you watch the film, the sound was shit. And, that, and I can totally understand why that would um, make it really difficult to follow this film. And I think Nolan's going to have to think about that in future. I mean, I, I got what was going on, but then with each rewatching, that I can see that, that that's more in it, and I, I, I thought it was absolutely tremendous. I, I understand your your criticism about um, uh, Elizabeth Debicki and, and her, her, you know, talking about her son. I I felt I went with it because I felt that what that was saying was, um, there is a personal stake in this. the The world that's being saved is not just a bunch of people. It's it's you know it's it, you know it's not just this huge mass of humanity. It's people with lives and loved ones and people that they don't want to lose. And, you know, if, if if there's a crisis and if things will get blown up, you want to protect your family. And she is the, or she represents and she is the, the you know, the, the people with loved ones who have lives that shouldn't be destroyed by this, this mad plan. And the protagonist has dragged her into it. I'll, I'll go into, into a second, you know, why he's dragged her into it. And he, he realizes that, the world is full of people like her who've got lives and loved ones who, who who don't deserve to be wiped out. And that's who he's fighting for. And the protagonist see who he's fighting for. And the fact that he puts himself in harm's way to to preserve that is because that's that's who you're fighting for. The message of the film is the people in the future have looked back on what we've done to this planet and, and maybe they've got a point. Maybe they've got a point that we fucked this up so much that the only thing that can happen is to to invert time and start again. And, and maybe maybe there'll be some planet left and something for someone left to live on. Um, but like uh, John David Orson says in the film, each generation is responsible for its own survival, and he wants to save all these people. It matters to him that these people that he sees and cares about, like Kat and Neil, they just they deserve a world to live in. And I felt I felt that gave the film an emotional punch. Now a lot of people felt that it didn't have an emotional punch, but at the end of the film, there's this beautiful scene where, because Kenneth Branagh, who's who's you know married to Kat and has kind of been mistreating her and separating her from her son, he's been keeping her away. He's been telling his He's been telling their son that she's too busy to spend time with him, and she won't hold. He won't hold her hand, and he's he's fucking ruined her relationship with her son because he's such a fucking sociopath. And at the end, because she hung in there, because she did all the things that she did to fucking stay in his life and to you know, keep things going and to protect him, at the end she just reaches out and holds his hand, and it's like that personal struggle is is what the protagonist is holding the line for. He's holding the line so people can fight their battles. And I thought I thought that emotional core really mattered. And I, look, I, I appreciate sometimes people do find Christopher Nolan's writing a bit clunky. A lot of people felt that a lot of the dialogue and interstellar with Anne Hathaway talking about her, the reason why she wants to go to a particular planet is that she she's in love with or was in love with, um, you know, that the scientists who went there and a lot of people went, oh, that's so fucking clunky. Come on, Nolan, you can't write human beings. You know, I get it. And, and Chris, uh, Stanley Kubrick received similar criticism that people didn't see the human element in his films because he didn't think he needed to make that much effort to to show emotion in his films he 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 decided he'd let the audience bring their own emotion to it and and sometimes his films can seem a bit cold as a result i i thought it was i thought it was fantastic and i i thought 
the way the film plays out is at the beginning, all you see is there's stuff that's coming backward in time. This doesn't make any sense. And then you get a little bit more and you get a little bit more. You get this breadcrumb trail. And then you see people going through turnstiles and then going back through time. And you go, this doesn't even fucking make, I, 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 don't, I don't understand what's going on here. But all the protagonist knows is that Kat is, is going to die if she, if she doesn't get taken back where she can recover. So he goes through. And in the course of going through the turnstile and going back to Oslo and going back over the job where they, where they blew up the, um, uh, where they you know, smashed into the, 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 the reserve with the, with the airplane, he knows there's a turnstile there. That's where they've got to go back to. He's got, got to go back over himself. And in the course of that incredibly striking fight scene where he's fighting himself in two different time zones, you start to see a little bit more about what's going on. I, I, I thought by the end of it that by going back over these, extraordinary action sequences over again, back through time and then go back through it, back through time and go back through it. By the end of it, you've got this grasp of what's going on and not everyone. Because, and, and I think if, if, if you, if you feel like the, the director's got to, you know, do a bit more to, to bring the audience along with you, it's a valid, it's a valid criticism. And, and some people just went, Nolan, for fuck's sake, man, I shouldn't be the one doing all the work. And I get it, but I felt it repaid that work because by the end of it, I went, Oh my God, now, now's what now, I get there's the way time inversion is going backwards and forwards across each other. And then the red team and the blue team going across Stask 12 at the end and that inverted fight. I can't, I kind of got it by then. And then, and then watching it over, it just, it overlays. You see, there's all these extra bits in it that, that completely, that completely work. And I thought it was absolutely amazing because I felt there was this, this sense of clinging on by your fingernails to a reality that you don't understand anymore. And step by step, um, you, you understand enough of what's going on. And then by going back over it and back over it, by going back through time again, you, you they're, they're fighting the same battle forever. The whole thing is like a time palindrome because Neil is essentially from the future and has been time inverted. And at the beginning, he's at the opera house saving um, the protagonist because the protagonist is his best friend and the, and the protagonist doesn't even know him. And at the end of the film, Neil's going to die. The protagonist has only just got to know him. And Neil says, don't worry. We've got a whole life together over the next ten years. You you just you just don't know it yet. Yeah, but and, how, no, but how can you how can he be time inverted the entire time? He's been time inverted from the very start when he goes back through the time version so he can have conversations with the protagonist and Elizabeth Debicki. It's messy. It's shit. If he's been time inverted from the very start and knows that oh I saved him at the opera house, but then he goes back through time inversion because they spend time in that fucking tent on the ship. Yeah, you know that's messy. It's messy and it's wrong. And if you make a film that's messy and you don't make everything watertight, Inception is watertight. In- Interstellar, it's almost watertight because the final thing is the final shot is very, the final kind of sequence is a bit messy. It's not watertight, but Inception is watertight and it works. You can't have a film where the oh you ju- we have ten years together but you just don't know it yet because I I I die just there but you know we're we're fine. It's like but he goes back through time inversion time and time and again. So that stuff is kind of stuff that fucks with the audience's mind. And it doesn't make, if it doesn't make sense, it can go and fuck itself. You know, I get that it has really good shots in it. The fighting yourself is really good, but you, you lose the stakes of everything. Oh yeah. A time inverted bullet's really bad because it rips through you and it's really dangerous. But Elizabeth Devicki, who is a, she isn't a built woman. She's a relatively small, like thin, you know, frame. She gets shot and it's like, oh, you know what? We'll just put her back through time inversion and operate there. She'll be fine. And she's fine. You take away the stakes of everything. That's the problem with um, Chris Nolan films. It's like, oh, yeah, look at this bad shit that's going to happen. And then he takes away the stakes of it all. Same thing happened in Dark Knight Rises. Bane absolutely fucking kicks his cunt in and breaks his back. And Batman's back gets fucking fixed in a fucking cave in, is it Turkey or something like that? Or it's in, it's in some 
Middle Eastern um, or North African prison and some guy can just fix his back with a bit of rope and you take away the stakes of it all. You can't have, you can't try and give me the stakes of the, uh, the stakes of the world when I get that there's more than just, you know, the entire population, there's more personal lives at stake, but you can't, you can't have the stakes of the film compromised because you just want to say, oh, look how bad an inverted bullet would be, but it doesn't fucking do anything to anyone. She gets shot in the fucking side from a yard away by her, not even a yard, it's literally on her skin. So it's directly into her body. No, the stakes are gone completely because she's fine. We'll just, we're all play, we'll, we'll, we'll invert you guys and she'll be fine. You can't have the stakes of the world being at risk and then kind of undercut that line by saying, and my son, like, you know what I mean? It's, it's messy, it's clunky. And I know that you like it because it's got, it's got some really good shots and there's some really like tense moments and there are some stakes in it. But for me, the stakes are all completely undercut by a guy's lazy writing and not putting his heart and soul into making the film absolutely watertight. That's my opinion of it. He'd probably disagree with it if he's, if he's listening. And I mean, I, I, I mean, I, a pile of fucking balls. Sorry. See, the thing is, I think he, the, the yeah, reason yeah. he's, the reason he's, he's actually turned some people off his last two films is because I think he's putting so much more into it. I think he is actually making films more and more personal films now, um, and I think what he's he's not making as much effort to make the film um, sort of stack up in a, in a, in as neat a sense because actually Inception is a very neat film. I I think what what you see in Tenet as as it being messy is that it's not all clear. But I do believe it's all there in the story. If you go through it, if you go back through it, the fact is that they they looked at her and said she's going to die, and the protagonist said, "No, you know there there is a way to do it, but you, but you have to you have to go through the the, the turnstile, and it takes a it takes days, and it's touch and go." I felt that it wasn't like an easy solution. I felt that it was like um, it, it was something that they had to kind of trust that, that that this might work, take her back through, and see if it works. And it's all about the almost taking a leap of faith that we've got no fucking choice to so go through this term style and see if it works. And there is an element of suspension of disbelief that you've got to keep this character going because her being shot creates drama that, oh my God, is she going to get killed? And then the fact that they go to all the trouble to kind of try and save her shows that the protagonist is not prepared to leave anyone behind, that it's not actually worth the struggle if you just let there just be hundreds of casualties and say, oh, well, it's all right for the greater good. And I... I I, I, I went with it. And in terms of the story being messy, I, I actually think that it the that there is so much in the story that it 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 looks like there are loose ends. And I think there are some loose ends in the story, but I, I think it all stacks up. The problem for I I'd say for people who aren't necessarily, you know, happy enough to go with it, or someone who who basically sets the standard on a film that it should make sense in one viewing is that it's not 100% clear. It's all there, but it's not clear. But if you, if you watch it back and you go, I oh, see that makes sense. There's details like the name of the person who sold the fake um, art um, uh, uh, piece of art to Kat that got that got her into the whole problem with Sator. Um, his name is... I've got this listed here. Um, his name is Aripo. And that is that is an anagram of of opera, which which means that the Arepo guy is probably a code name of some kind, and that at some point the protagonist chose to go back in time and uh, entrap Cat because that was the way to get at Sator. 
And what what he's done is is that they get what what happens in 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 the reality of the film. The protagonist has got to the end of this story where they've got through the battle at Stalsk Twelve, and they've averted the algorithm's kind of destruction, and they've they've killed Sator, but he realizes that there is now a time loop between that point and the point where they start you know fighting this battle, where they're going to have to keep going back to protect it. He is he is trapped in a time loop t- because if he doesn't keep in that time loop, something is going to go wrong, and this algorithm is is going to happen again because these these turnstiles exist and these battles exist. So he he has decided at the end of that point that he's going to go back, and so is Neil, to fight this battle essentially with for for the rest of their lives in this time loop to protect this this point in in this almost like this rip in time where the world could be destroyed, and all the rest of it. Him and Neil forging their friendship him getting Kat involved and, and and having to kind of get her out of it again. It's the price he has to pay for the mission. And you see at the start that he's prepared to do anything for the mission because he takes that suicide pill. And then he goes back through and, um, uh, and essentially has recruited himself to, to fulfill his own, you know, to, to fulfill his own future. I thought it was absolutely mind blowing, but at the same time, I do think it stacks up. You keep going back through it. And that's why he goes back in time or in, goes back through the time turnstile to kill Priya before she can kill Kat because, you know, Kat says, I'm tying up loose ends. And, and what he says is, no, there should be loose ends. It's not worth killing off this person. We, we'll, we'll leave the loose ends and I'll just watch. I will just watch. And Neil and I will just watch this time loop from the end of the mission to the beginning of the mission for the rest of our lives. We'll go back through. We'll check up. We'll, we'll check the messages. We'll ch- go back through the turnstiles. We will watch. We will watch over everyone. And, and fight this battle any number of times. The beautiful thing about Neil is that he goes back to the opera and he saves uh, the protagonist and he goes back at the Battle of Stalks and, and he, he's the one who who, who um, has to, to go in when the, 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 the area gets sealed up uh, so that he can actually avert disaster. And he knows, he knows before he goes and does any of that, that that's his, he's going to have to go back through that time scale and he might have to go back through again and he might have to go back through again and then eventually he's going to get killed because that's his journey. And I thought it was amazing to to see that play out. The, the thing is, though, it asks a lot of the audience. It says to the audience, not all of this, that there's two things the audience can do. The audience can just go with it. All the audience can say, if you want to follow this, you are going to have to really follow this. And it might take a second watching for all of those things to, to, to come through. And what looks like something that is messy is just that it's not all clear. But it, the more you look at it, the more the, the beauty of it is that it's a film about time inversion, that if you go back over, if you go back through and do it again, you you add another layer and 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 you and you and you get nearer to where you want to be. If you go back through this film again, it becomes clearer. And then you go back again. And you no, go, oh my god, look at look no, at what's contained is, in all this. Is, and I thought that was amazing. No, I think the thing is, is that the fact that you've gone in and you've had to do all that explanation for it when the film should be doing that itself. I'm not asking for exposition and it all to be explained out to me, but the fact that I've watched it twice and none of that is clear, and it's already well, like you know, they do they do forge a friendship and they do get close and they do manage to. Um, you know, do the mission, and they manage to, you know, yeah. build that bond. That's fine. I don't have any problems with that. It's just the actual showing of the action and the sequences after they say they're going to do it is so clunky and so messy that it's just, it's not. There's no rewatchability. I've got, I've got no incentive to rewatch that film a third time because I've watched it twice now. He's basically spat his toys out of the pram and said, "Well, cinemas need to uh, invest money into speakers, so therefore I'm going to make no effort to refine the sound of my films. Go fuck yourself." 
you know, that no, there's there's no justification for that because okay, I get that you're trying to make a political point, but rather than have like a not a political point, but you know, you're trying to make a point, and instead of getting something done about it, you've just basically made the the audience suffer as a result because not everyone has one, not everyone has the money to spend fifteen pounds to twenty pounds on an IMAX ticket. Sometimes people have to spend money on a family for a four ticket where it's like four pound fifty each. And that might be in a shitty cinema um, where the speakers aren't very good. So that that's that's annoying because you're saying, oh well, they should do more. But sometimes people can't afford that. And sometimes little cinemas can't afford to do that. So that that's just snobby. And you know, it feels like although he's trying to make a point towards cinemas, it's actually the watchers that are suffering from it, and the film suffers as a result because it's terrible. The especially the the sequences with Aaron Taylor Johnson using the face mask and things like that. But the fact that the film is the fact that you're doing more explanation and trying to explain the plot more now than the film ever could do unless you watch it about 15 times ridiculous because I'm not watching a film 15 times. I've got an incentive to watch Interstellar, Interstellar again. When I watched it the first time, I went, oh, that ending's like, it's a bit mind-bending. And I thought about the ending for Interstellar for like a couple of days and then I went to watch it again. And I was like, all right, okay. But, but the rest of the film, is good to watch. You've got the sequence with the uh, the, the planet with the massive waves. You've got the uh, the sequence with um when they go to the the Matt Damon planet spoilers. I know he's not yeah. even he's not even yeah, the best, yeah. but you've got you've got cool shots. You've got the shots where you go through the wormhole. You've got the redocking sequence. You've got those really cool bits. I don't think there's a single point in Tenet where I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I'll power through it because there's these really good bits. To there's these excellent polished you know sequences because there isn't there isn't and i know you really like this film you defend it but those you'll even admit yourself that it's it's a hard watch even if you enjoy it it's a hard watch and it shouldn't be a hard watch it should be a challenging watch and i kind of like oof, there's some visceral stuff going on here but it's not it's just it's a big clunky time inverted mess that's basically what intent is to me and look and i understand and i think what this is is that people come down on one side or other of this film and i think it's similar to dunkirk is that Christopher Nolan has done what he set out to do with this film, and some people are going to like it, and some people aren't. I, t- I get, I get what you're saying, but I loved it. I thought it was, I thought I was thrilled from beginning to end of this. I thought the, I thought the aeroplane going into the the Freeport was stunning. I thought that first fight sequence where one person's going forward through time, one going back through time. I thought that was amazing. I loved the 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 heist and then reverse car chase in Talon. I thought the battle at the end where some people are going forward through time, going through back through time, and there are explosions going on backwards and forwards at the same time while the music is being played forwards and backwards at the same time. I thought it was an absolutely stunning, daring piece of cinema. And at the same time, I totally understand why a lot of people for entirely valid reasons would be very pissed off by it. What I would say is, is that over time, I, I think that more people are going to revisit this film and more people are going to go back over it and, and will uh, will come to appreciate what it had. At the same time, though, if someone feels that a film that hasn't, you know, that requires further viewings to com- to completely get its point across has failed, that's a valid point. I think that's a completely defensible, uh, like, stance to take on cinema. I, I just think similar to what um, uh, Kubrick did with 2001 and A Clockwork Orange and Barry Lyndon is that he's he's leaving large parts of this film wide open. And and, and similarly, you've watched something like Barry Lyndon that the whole, almost the whole second half of that film, people will watch it and have wildly different interpretations of what's going on. Why does this character kind of suddenly find himself stuck and unable to do anything? And it doesn't explain, but there is an explanation in there. And, if you're not prepared to go with that, I think that's entirely valid. And I'm sure for the sake of us us enjoying a Christopher Nolan film together, 
I hope that what he does next time is something that we both love, like Interstellar was. Yeah. Um, but I, I think personally, I, 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 I absolutely loved Tenet and I loved what it was trying to do. And I think this is going to go down as his most divisive film, but also his most ambitious. And I think it will, um, I think it will continue to be discussed for a long time. It was, I certainly think it deserves some credit for just going out and, and putting itself out there when, when no other big film was prepared to do so. Um, I certainly think that it was it was it was a brave move, and I get what some people are saying. It's a similar thing when Nolan Marie says everyone should shoot on film, and not everyone can afford to. Um, and I think what some people did was some people did actually adjust the mix of of, of tenets so that it would work in their cinemas. And I think that's what people are going to have to do from now on with these films because I, I think I think filmmakers pushing the boundaries is a good thing, and he's really pushed the boundaries here. And I think it's it's very interesting that someone's prepared to do with this with a film that big. Because when he did Memento, that film cost $9 million, and that's a head fuck of a film. And I think it's really interesting that there are people out there prepared to do that in films as big as, as Christopher Nolan films. Um, but I certainly wouldn't say to anyone who didn't like it or that you just didn't understand it. I totally get it. He's tried to do something very specific here, and it's not going to be for everyone because he has made a film that is – could be described as messy or could be described as this is really unclear and not all of it is 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 spelt out as much as some people film feel a film should should be and this is not an argument of oh film should be simple it's this asks a lot of its audience and i just thought it this this was worth it this film was worth the work for me but i understand someone saying it wasn't worth the work for them yeah no i think we'll just have to agree to disagree um i'm sure there are folk like yourself that loved it for like me that disliked it but to me, it was, yeah, I think it's just a, 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 a film we'll never agree on. Understood. And I thought, I thought that emotional core really mattered. And I, look, I, I appreciate sometimes people do find Christopher Nolan's writing a bit clunky. A lot of people felt that a lot of the dialogue in Interstellar with Anne Hathaway talking about her, the reason why she wants to go to a particular planet is that she she's in love with or was in love with, um, you know, that the scientists who went there. And a lot of people went, oh, that's so fucking clunky. Come on, Nolan, you can't write human beings. You know, I get it. And, and Chris, uh, Stanley Kubrick received similar criticism that people didn't see the human element in his films because he didn't think he needed to make that much effort to to show emotion in his films he 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 decided he'd let the audience bring their own emotion to it and and sometimes his films can seem a bit cold as a result i i thought it was i thought it was fantastic and i i thought the way the film plays out is at the beginning all you see is there's stuff that's coming backward in time this doesn't make any sense and then you get a little bit more and you get a little bit more you get this breadcrumb trail and then you see people going through turnstiles and then going back through time and you go, this doesn't even fucking make, I, 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 don't, I don't understand what's going on here. But all the protagonist knows is that Kat is, is going to die if she, if she doesn't get taken back where she can recover. So he goes through. And in the course of going through the turnstile and going back to Oslo and going back over the job where they, where they blew up the, um, uh, where they you know, smashed into the, 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 the reserve with the with the aeroplane. He knows there's a turnstile there. That's where they've got to go back to. He's got, got to go back over himself. And in the course of that incredibly striking fight scene where he's fighting himself in two different time zones, you start to see a little bit more about what's going on. I, I, I thought by the end of it that by going back over these extraordinary action sequences over again, back through time and then go back through it, back through time and go back through it, 
by the end of it, you've got this grasp of what's going on, and not everyone. Because, and, and I think if 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 you if you feel like the the director's got to you know do a bit more to to bring the audience along with you, it's a valid it's a valid criticism. And, and some people just went, Nolan, for fuck's sake, man, I shouldn't be the one doing all the work, and I get it. But I felt it repaid that work because by the end of it, I went, oh my god, now now's what now I get. There's the way time inversion is going backwards and forwards across each other, and then the red team and the blue team going across Stask 12 at the end and that inverted fight I can't, I kind of got it by then and then and then watching it over it just it overlays you see there's all these extra bits in it that that completely that completely work and I thought it was absolutely amazing because I felt there was this this sense of clinging on by your fingernails to a reality that you don't understand anymore and step by step um you you understand enough of what's going on and then by going back over it and back over it by going back through time again you you, they're, they're fighting the same battle forever. The whole thing is like a time palindrome because Neil is essentially from the future and has been time inverted. And at the beginning, he's at the opera house saving um, the protagonist because the protagonist is his best friend and the, and the protagonist doesn't even know him. And at the end of the film, Neil's going to die. The protagonist has only just got to know him. And Neil says, don't worry, we've got a whole life together over the next 10 years. You, you've just, you just don't know it yet. Yeah, but and, how, no, but how can you how can he be time inverted the entire time? He's been time inverted from the very start when he goes back through the time inversion so he can have conversations with the protagonist and Elizabeth Debicki. It's messy. It's shit. If he's been time inverted from the very start and knows that oh, I saved him at the opera house, but then he goes back through time inversion because they spend time in that fucking tent on the ship. Yeah, you know that's messy. It's messy and it's wrong. And if you make a film that's messy and you don't make everything watertight, Inception is watertight. In- Interstellar, it's almost watertight because the final thing it is. The final shot is very. The final kind of sequence is a bit messy. It's not watertight, but Inception is watertight and it works. You can't have a film where the oh, you we have ten years together, but you just don't know it yet because I I, I die just there. But you know we're we're fine. It's like, but he goes back through time inversion time and time and again. So that stuff is kind of stuff that fucks with the audience's mind and it doesn't make if it doesn't make sense, it can go and fuck itself. You know, I get that it has really good shots in it. The fighting yourself is really good, but you you lose the stakes of everything. Oh yeah, a time inverted bullet's really bad because it rips through you and it's really dangerous. But Elizabeth Devicki, who is a she isn't a built woman. She's a relatively small, like thin, you know, frame. She gets shot. And it's like, oh, you know what? We'll just put her back through time inversion and operate there. She'll be fine, and she's fine. You take away the stakes of everything. That's the problem with um. Chris Nolan films, it's like, oh yeah, look at this bad shit that's going to happen. And then he takes away the stakes of it all. Same thing happened in Dark Knight Rises. Bane absolutely fucking kicks his cunt in and breaks his back. And Batman's back gets fucking fixed in a fucking cave in, is it Turkey or something like that? Or it's in, it's in some uh, Middle Eastern um, or North African prison and some guy can just fix his back with a bit of rope. And you take away the stakes of it all. You can't have. You can't try and give me the stakes of the uh, the stakes of the world when I get that there's more than just you know the entire population. There's more personal lives at stake. But you can't. You can't have the stakes of the film compromised because you just want to say, "Oh, look how bad an inverted bullet would be," but it doesn't fucking do anything to anyone. She gets shot in the fucking side from a yard away by her. Not even a yard. It's literally on her skin. So it's directly into her body no the stakes are gone completely because she's fine we'll just we'll operate we'll, we'll, we'll invert you guys and she'll be fine you can't have the stakes of the world being at risk and then kind of undercut that line by saying and my son like you know what i mean it's it's messy it's clunky and i know that you like it because it's got 
it's got some really good shots and there's some really like tense moments and there are some stakes in it. But for me, the stakes are all completely undercut by a guy's lazy writing and not putting his heart and soul into making the film absolutely watertight. That's my opinion of it. He'd probably disagree with it if he's if he's listening. And I mean, I, I, I mean, I, a pile of fucking balls. Sorry. See, the thing is, I think he the the yeah, reason yeah. he's the reason he's he's actually turned some people off his last two films is because I think he's putting so much more into it. I think he is actually making films more and more personal films now. Um, and I think what he's, he's not making as much effort to make the film um, sort of stack up in a, in a, in his neater sense. Cause actually inception is a very neat film. I, I think what, what you see in Tenet as, as it being messy is that, it's not all clear, but I do believe it's all there in the story. If you go through it, if you go back through it, the fact is that they they looked at her and said she's going to die, and the protagonist said, "No, you know there there is a way to do it, but you, but you have to you have to go through the the, the turnstile, and it takes a it takes days, and it's touch and go." I felt that it wasn't like an easy solution. I felt that it was like. Um, it was something that they had to kind of trust that, that that this might work, take her back through and see if it works. And it's all about the almost taking a leap of faith that we've got no fucking choice. So go through this term style and see if it works. And there is an element of suspension of disbelief that you've got to keep this character going because her being shot creates drama that, oh my God, is she going to get killed? And then the fact that they go to all the trouble to kind of try and save her shows that the protagonist is not prepared to leave anyone behind, that it's not actually worth the struggle if you just let there just be hundreds of casualties and say, oh, well, it's all right for the greater good. And I I, I, I went with it. And in terms of the story being messy, I, I actually think that it the that there is so much in the story that it 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 looks like there are loose ends. And I think there are some loose ends in the story, but I, I think it all stacks up. The problem for, I'd say, for people who aren't necessarily, you know, happy enough to go with it, or someone who, who basically sets the standard on a film that it should make sense in one viewing, is that it's not one hundred percent clear. It's all there, but it's not clear. But if you, if you watch it back, you go, I oh, see that makes sense. There's details like the name of the person who sold the fake um, art um, uh, uh, piece of art to Cat that got that got her into the whole problem with Sator. Um, his name is. I've got this listed here. Um, his name is Aripo, and that is that is an anagram of of opera, which which means that the Aripo guy is probably a code name of some kind, and that at some point the protagonist chose to go back in time and uh, entrap Cat because that was the way to get at Sator. And what what he's done is is that they get what what happens is in, in in the reality of the film the protagonist has got to the end of this story where they've got through the battle at Stalsk twelve and they've averted the algorithm's kind of destruction and they've they've killed Sator, but he realizes that there is now a time loop between that point and the point where they start you know fighting this battle where they're going to have to keep going back to protect it. He is he is trapped in a time loop t- because if he doesn't keep in that time loop, something is going to go wrong, and this algorithm is, is going to happen again because these these turnstiles exist and these battles exist. So he he has decided at the end of that point that he's going to go back, and so is Neil, to fight this battle essentially with for for the rest of their lives in this time loop to protect this 
this point in in this almost like this rip in time where the world could be destroyed and all the rest of it him and neil forging their friendship him getting cat involved and and having to kind of get her out of it again it's the price he has to pay for the mission and you see at the start that he's prepared to do anything for the mission because he takes that suicide pill and then he goes back through and um and essentially has recruited himself to to fulfill his own you know to to fulfill his own future i thought it was absolutely mind blowing but at the same time i do think it stacks up if you keep going back through it and that's why he goes back in time or in, goes back through the time turnstile to kill priya before she can kill cat because you know cat says i'm tying up loose ends and and what he says is no there should be loose ends it's not worth killing off this person We'll, we'll leave the loose ends and I'll just watch. I will just watch and Neil and I will just watch this time loop from the end of the mission to the beginning of the mission for the rest of our lives. We'll go back through, we'll check up, we'll, we'll check the messages, we'll ch- go back through the turnstiles, we will watch. We will watch over everyone and, and fight this battle any number of times. The beautiful thing about Neil is that he goes back to the opera and he saves uh, the protagonist and he goes back at the Battle of Stalti and, and he he's the one who who, who um, has to, to go in when the, 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 the area gets sealed up uh, so that he can actually avert disaster. And he knows, he knows before he goes and does any of that, that that's his, he's going to have to go back through that time scale. He might have to go back through again and he might have to go back through again and then eventually he's going to get killed because that's his journey. And I thought it was amazing to to see that play out. It's interesting, and I think where what, what what's happened is is that with these with the last couple of of Nolan films, people have found that you know people who are fans of Christopher Nolan have found themselves or have at times found themselves on the same side of the discussion as people who aren't fans of Christopher Nolan at all. I would say up until the Dark Knight Rises, um, people liked Christopher Nolan or they didn't. It was as simple as that, you know. But there were people who went, oh, I don't really like, the, you know, they would say they don't like Nolan, they don't like the Dark Knight. It's, you know, why are you making, why are you making this all so somber and ponderous? It's Batman, don't be ridiculous, or Inception, you know, th- th- what's all that about? And those people, uh, you know, just just you say, James, they're not idiots. They're just not turned on by what Christopher Nolan is doing, right? Yeah. And you know, f- forget those th- those film fans are morons. If we, we we talked about toxic fandom. There's nothing in the world that, that uh, a, a, a fucking fan on the internet can't, can't piss everyone off about by going, oh, you're not stupid. You're too stupid to understand it. Fuck them. They're idiots. Um, the interesting thing about Christopher Nolan is for a long time, it, you know, if you liked Christopher Nolan, you know, you liked Batman Begins and you loved, you know, the, you know, the prestige and Dark Knight and Inception. It was because what Christopher Nolan does and the way he does it appealed to you. And you felt, oh, this is amazing filmmaking. And other people were just never going to like it because they didn't, they, they, they didn't buy in to that. And it's a matter of taste. You either buy into it or you don't. But what's really interesting is that Christopher Nolan is really pushing the boundaries now. And there were people who really didn't like Interstellar because they thought the the whole final act where, you know, you're if you can exist in five-dimensional space, the way you travel through that is by being able to focus on something that's really important to you, a time that's really important to you. And it it did it in a way that isn't, altogether straightforward some of it you have to make your mind up about what's really going on and he's he is somehow able to send morse code back to his daughter back at the time and that shows you how 
um, uh, the, the, the future can be saved by future humans who are able to exist in another dimension of space. And you, you can't travel through time, but you can send messages through time. And some people went, that's fucking ridiculous. He's fucking in the bookcase. What a ridiculous idea. I hate it. And other people like us went, I love that. I, I, I'm, I'm on board with 100% of what happens in Interstellar. I think it's amazing. And But I had to say, I had to understand why some people would look at that, think it's absurd and not go along with it. In the same way that people came out of Dunkirk and went, that's amazing. I felt like I was there. I feel so much, I felt all the fucking power of what happened to Dunkirk through watching that film. And I went, well, well I didn't. I felt that the way he did it made it feel like there was only three aeroplanes, six boats, and 12 people in the whole thing. And I didn't get a sense of the scale of Dunkirk. And, and I felt that the, the performances were too muted, except someone else has gone and watched exactly the same film and felt exactly what Christopher Nolan wanted them to feel from watching the film. And I think what's happened is he is now pushing the boundaries with what he does, which means that he's going to bring out a film and some people just aren't going to like it. Not because they don't get it, not because they're not intelligent enough to get it, but because he's trying to do a certain thing which some people are just going to be turned off by. And he is he seems to be going into a phase of his career that Stanley Kubrick did. I mean, 2001 A Space Odyssey, an interesting parallel, not because you know it makes you intelligent if you get the film, but because Kubrick started making films where some people are going to watch the last half hour of that film and go, that's bullshit, this, none of this makes any sense, and other people are going to... Um, are going to go with it and, and, and are going to love what he did with the film. And I, and I think Tenet is, is as yet the biggest expression expression of that. And for, for, for the sake of Christopher Nolan's own career, I think if he carries on dividing the audiences the way he does, he might struggle. But personally, I think what he was trying to do with Tenet was basically the most ambitious film he's ever made. And I, for one, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was an incredible feat of filmmaking. I loved every minute of it. Um, and I don't, I've heard all the criticisms of it and I have to acknowledge them. I can understand why people would watch that and go, fucking hell, this is ridiculous. Cause one of the key things is that he's trying to make the film immersive. The reason that the main character doesn't have a name, uh, or, or you don't hear his name. And the reason that you are disoriented in the way that you are is because he's trying to put the audience right in the middle of the action. And from minute to minute, it might not be clear to you what's going on. And you have to kind of strain to go, shit, this is all going to go off in one second. Where are we? Fuck. And if you're not prepared to go with that, if you, and I think I personally, I think it's reasonable for an audience to expect the director to tell the audience a bit more about what's going on. I totally get it. I totally get it. And people who dislike that film for that reason, I totally understand. But what I loved about it was I felt like I'd been dropped into the middle of this and I was going to have to, and I felt all the kind of tension of, not only needing to stay alive from moment to moment while all of this shit is going on, but the world has got to be saved and it can only be saved if you can get your head around what the fuck is going on. And I honestly, the first time I watched that film, the hairs were standing on the back of my neck pretty much the whole way through. I thought it was an absolutely stunning piece of work. What, what's interesting about it is, is that he's one thing that's going to remain controversial about Nolan for, you know, in recent years is that ever since interstellar, he has started to make the sound mixing of his films more and more challenging. And, and he came out and said in an interview that in his previous films, what he was doing was he was doing less with the sound of his films because he knew how many cinemas had shit sound. And he said, he doesn't want to make his films for cinemas with shit sound. They, the cinemas should have better sound. 
and to so that his films, you know, so that his films play on them. And I think that's a it's a very Christopher Nolan thing to say. It's the same thing as him always wanting to do things on film. But if you do watch the film with with a decent sound mix, you can follow everything that people are saying. The, the other thing that's challenging about the film is that I mean, I've watched it three times now. I watched it twice in the cinema. Once where a cinema didn't have a very good sound mix and once where it did have a good sound mix and the difference is quite notable. And I've watched it at, at home on, on, on Blu-ray and I, I got it. I got what was going on the first time, but I was clinging on by my fingernails. And that was part, that was part of the ride for me to be like, fucking hell. And, but with each, with each um, rewatching of the film, it repays further viewing and again it's it's entirely reasonable for an audience to say i paid for a ticket i watched the film once if if i don't get it the first time then the director has has failed and it's a it's a valid it's a valid criticism and i have to say a first-time director who i'd not heard of i would not have given them that much rope i gave nolan that much rope because he'd done inception because he's done interstellar because he'd done memento because he does things that kind of you know warp your mind and I, I trusted that there would be some payoff on this if you went with it. But I, I appreciate an audience, a film goer, like you say, some people just want to watch a movie. And so I totally understand why some people watch that and go, fucking hell, mate, I don't, have, I don't want to have to watch the film three times to get what's going on now. I didn't need three times to, to, to kind of get what was going on. Um, and I, I think the first time you watched the film, the sound was shit. And, that, and I can totally understand why that would um, make it really difficult to follow this film. And I think Nolan's going to have to think about that in future. I mean, I, I got what was going on, but then with each rewatching, that I can see that, that that's more in it, and I, I I thought it was absolutely tremendous. I, I understand your your criticism about um, uh, Elizabeth Debicki and and her, her you know talking about her son. I I felt I went with it because I felt that what that was saying was, um, there is a personal stake in this. the The world that's being saved is not just a bunch of people. It's it's you know it's it, you know it's not just this huge mass of humanity. It's people with lives and loved ones and people that they don't want to lose. And, you know, if, if if there's a crisis and if things will get blown up, you want to protect your family. And she is the, or she represents and she is the, the you know, the, the people with loved ones who have lives that shouldn't be destroyed by this, this mad plan. And the protagonist has dragged her into it. I'll, I'll go into, into a second, you know, why he's dragged her into it. And he, he realizes that, the world is full of people like her who've got lives and loved ones who, who who don't deserve to be wiped out. And that's who he's fighting for. And the protagonists see who he's fighting for. And the fact that he puts himself in harm's way to to preserve that is because that's that's who you're fighting for. The message of the film is the people in the future have looked back on what we've done to this planet and, and maybe they've got a point. Maybe they've got a point that we fucked this up so much that the only thing that can happen is to to invert time and start again. And, and maybe maybe there'll be some planet left and something for someone left to live on. Um, but like uh, John David Orson says in the film, each generation is responsible for its own survival, and he wants to save all these people. It matters to him that these people that he sees and cares about, like Kat and Neil, they just they deserve a world to live in. And I felt I felt that gave the film an emotional punch. Now a lot of people felt that it didn't have an emotional punch, but at the end of the film, there's this beautiful scene where, because Kenneth Branagh, who's who's you know married to Kat and has kind of been mistreating her and separating her from her son, he's been keeping her away. He's been telling his He's been telling their son that she's too busy to spend time with him, and she won't hold. He won't hold her hand, and he's he's fucking ruined her relationship with her son because he's such a fucking sociopath. And at the end, because she hung in there, 
because she did all the things that she did to fucking stay in his life and to you know, keep things going and to protect him, at the end, she just reaches out and holds his hand. And it's like that personal struggle is is what the protagonist is holding the line for. He's holding the line so people can fight their battles. Warning, spoilers. From this point on, there will be a full discussion of the film Tenet, including spoilers about all sorts of things that happen in the story and how it ends, who lives and who dies. So if you haven't seen Tenet and you want to do that before you listen to this discussion. This discussion is very much intended for people who've already seen the film, and I wouldn't want to damage your enjoyment of any film by giving you spoilers before you're ready to hear them. Um, that's your warning. Um, from now on, we're discussing Tenet. Now, the context of this discussion is that Tenet came out last year in the middle of a whole range of other things. I went to see it at the cinema, and I gave it my review uh, for the podcast uh, on the episode that came out that month. Um, it was probably the biggest single uh, cinema release in, in a COVID hit year that had so many big, big films postponed. It was the latest Christopher Nolan, which is always a big talking point. And like some of um, Christopher Nolan's most recent films, the audience tends up to be the audience tends to be divided into into camps of people who who love the film and people who didn't. Um, there are people who absolutely loved Interstellar, like me. I think you as well, James. Um, yeah. And then there are people who are going, oh, this is, you know, this is, uh, this is silly. Nolan's gone off the boil here. This, this is a, a very poor example. We should get back to what he's good at. Uh, and then Dunkirk came out and not the same. It was actually different. I think people fall on different sides by different films. But Dunkirk was, was another one where uh, there were some people going, oh, yeah, return to form from Nolan. This is brilliant. Dunkirk is great. And other people like me and you, James, who, who didn't like it very much. So he certainly... He seems to be in a, in a phase of his career where his um, his films divide with the audiences a bit more than they used to, and he seems to be um, reaching for something different from what he was ten or fifteen years ago. Which means that not everyone he makes the film is going to love it, and that's what happened with Tenet. Is that this time, whereas previously I think we tend to have the same opinion about all, all Nolan films, this time we've kind of come down on opposite sides in this. I loved Tenet, but you really didn't like it at all, did you? Uh, no, it was shit. Discussion over. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> it was just fucking. It was. I cannot believe a film that fucking boring and that fucking bland was two hundred and fifty odd million because it was shit. It was. It was. It was incoherent, and I. I don't mind a film being challenging to kind of keep track of. You know, he's done that with um, Inception and Interstellar. Spring to mind immediately. Some people might say that the Prestige is a little harder to follow. Memento is definitely quite hard to follow, but those films are universal not universally loved but the majority of people enjoyed those films like wow that's a you know that's a good film with a kind of challenging kind of concept and you know mind-bending kind of physics i mean i didn't find inception or interstellar too difficult to follow memento is definitely a bit of a okay holy shit i need to i need to lie down or i need to properly think about this film but tenet was just kind of it was just kind of rubbish it was that it was so poorly written it was so fucking poorly written the bit the bit that sticks out to me where i thought yeah, no, fuck this was the, um, it was the bit with the, it's like, yeah, we need to save the world because this guy's, uh, he's dying from terminal cancer and he's basically taking the world with him through time inversion. And I was like, cool, cool motive, Kenneth Branagh, cool, cool kind of, you know, low key kind of scary Russian villain. Cool. On board. I was like, we need to save the world. And what's her name? Elizabeth Devicki goes, 
and my son. It's like shut, shut up. What the fuck? Uh, yeah, that's the most important thing that we need to we need to take from this. It's not the inter- end of the fucking world, but your son. Shut you, fucking sausage. What a terrible, terrible line. And at, at that point in the film, I was like, yeah, no. That what whatever happens now is redundant. There were some cool shots. There were some really cool shots, like the ab sailing and the reverse fights or the inverted fights and the the card. Uh, the car bit in um, Estonia, which they've obviously filmed there to save a bit of money because no one goes to Estonia, even Estonians. Um, but it was just fucking, it was just messy and it was just kind of like, you know, let's just take a re like Interstellar's idea was that the earth is dying. We need to travel through wormholes and, um, you know, things like time dilation and things like that. They were concepts that seem mental and act, but are actually, you know, true and it was kind of like it wasn't too bizarre or far-fetched was time aversion just it just wasn't it doesn't it didn't grip me it was like oh okay cool you know bullets can travel back into the gun and they do more damage because you're going this way and your lungs can only breathe oxygen that's going forwards instead of backwards and it was just like oh do me a fucking favor it was it just okay it just felt i just i don't know i felt like his heart wasn't properly in this one it, and as much as he got plaudits for Dunkirk, I felt like his heart wasn't properly in that one either, but there was more of a soul to that film because it was such a iconic moment in British and world history that there was a bit more soul to it. I just felt that this film didn't have a soul. And I felt really bad for folk like Robert Pattinson and, uh, what's his name? John David Washington. Um, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because they're, they're, they're giving it as their own. They're playing, they're playing cool characters and they're playing interesting characters, but, Oh, yeah just couldn't i couldn't be fucked with it it was it wasn't it wasn't a concept that was particularly interesting to me um i think he's done enough of time as a concept especially with um memento interstellar and i suppose uh you can say in- inception falls into the category of time because of the difference in timings because of the the dream sequences and the stages of dreams but this was just it was just it was just shit it wasn't it wasn't anything that I would write home about. And it was a real shame because it, after Dunkirk, I thought, okay, he's doing a sci-fi film and it's going to be about, you know, how time can, you know, be inverted and it's about that kind of stuff. And there's going to be a potential for some really cool shots, which there are, there's some really cool shots in it, especially, you know, with the, the waves going against the boats and the building blowing up and then re-blowing up and going back together or whatever, that, that shot in the kind of final moment of the film. But it was just kind of messy and, the problem I have with Christopher Nolan film and diehard Christopher Nolan fans is that if you find it too convoluted and too messy, you're basically written off as a fucking imbecile and you should, you shouldn't think about things too much. And that's my one, one of my couple of gripes I have with Interstellar is that the, the ending to Interstellar is a little bit messy and it's kind of like, okay, so them from the future have planted this, uh, this space in the black hole and you're going to basically use Morse code through gravity across time to communicate to your, daughter and you're like wait okay hang on that's a bit fucking mental do we even know if this is potential thing you know you're just it seems like the entire the entire film of interstellar is look you've traveled through a wormhole potentially possible and now you're in another part of the universe and you've gone to different planets that can maybe sustain life cool and then and then after that it's oh yeah then there's this mental bit at the end and if you don't understand you're a fucking imbecile and just deal with it you maybe shouldn't have to think about it too much because you love 2001 a space odyssey so much and nobody understood that fucking film either so then you're basically just basically told, I'll put up with it if you don't understand it. And I didn't really understand a fucking thing that was going on with the time inversion. It wasn't explained very clearly. It was just like, oh, look, this bullet goes backwards. Or look, this car's going backwards. And I'm sure there's been a lot of th- 
you know, thinking done with the the shooting and the recording of those shots and the you know how they formulate the CGI or the the practical stunts for it. But it was they just it, it didn't seem like it was something that I, that was that was interesting. Like it was you know, if you've not made it as clear as you possibly can as a director, even though it's a complicated idea, and you're just be telling folk to either think about it or you're being lazy yourself because you're not explaining it clearly enough, then you can go and fuck yourself because you've got to try and make sure that the audience not not everyone that watches Christopher Nolan films is Kip Thorne, you know, mental astrophysicist. You know, people that watch these films are just kind of general movie goers, and if you're basically told, oh well, if you don't understand, you don't understand, then that's your fucking problem. That's not mine. Then it, you're you're kind of it's like you're being lost in your own arrogance of how grand and how large the idea of your film is. That's the way I felt about Tenet. It was it wasn't thought it wasn't explained very clearly to me the the whole time inversion. I know that it's basically time can go backwards and at the same time simultaneously you walk into this big fucking tumble dryer and you come out the other side and you need an oxygen mask depending on what side of the the uh, the flow of time you're on. But other than that, it was. It was like, yeah, just kind of put up with the the bizarre idea of you need to go backwards in time to catch up with somebody. It was like, what? N- oh, eh? That's all for this special bonus episode of the Double Real Film Podcast. Thanks for listening and for staying all the way to the end, or should I say the beginning. Thanks as ever to my co-host James Adamson. The podcast is edited in Audacity and hosted on Anchor FM and we are grateful for their continued support. The music was Mistake the Getaway by Kevin MacLeod. Our next podcast will be our regular episode 16 in August. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like and subscribe and tell your friends. You're welcome to join the conversation on our socials. Until next time, stay safe, watch lots of films and may your life be as awesome as you pretend it is on social media.